Parkside Church in Cleveland since 1983. He's been on the radio for a long time. He's fairly well known. And in 2009, he was preaching at a Ligonier conference. Ligonier is the ministry of um, made famous or founded by R.C. Sproul. And he was preaching on 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. And I want to read a portion of what he said in his sermon. 2 Corinthians 5.1 says this, Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. We know, we know. The Christian faith engages our minds. It is something we ought to keep reminding ourselves of so that we don't allow our minds to fossilize and that we continue to be sharpened and to make progress. Beg continues. He says, I was at a church in California just a few weeks ago. Back in August, I think it was. Time flies. And I went there. I had a Sunday free and I was staying with friends. And I went down to the church and I was excited because I got to go now and I don't have to do anything at all except whatever they tell me to do. And so I sat there and waited for it to begin. And it was quite fascinating, actually. They had big screens. They had a clock on the screens. And when I got in, it said five minutes. And I had only been in about two seconds and you won't be surprised. It said four minutes, 58 seconds. And then it counted down and eventually it counted down 10, 9, 8, seven, six, and at just the right moment of time, the band began, and I was waiting for David Letterman at that moment. I didn't know what was going to happen next, and then eventually the band did what it did, and then the person who was to lead the praise, his opening gambit was this, hey, how do you all feel this morning? Well, that was enough for me. We could have had the benediction right there that was so good. I thought, what kind of New Testament question is that? How do you all feel this morning? If I told you how I feel, especially in light of the last five minutes, you would question whether I was even a Christian at all. So don't ask me that question. Ask me what I know. Ask me what I know. Don't ask me what I feel about myself. Ask me what I know about God. Ask me what I know about his word. Ask me what I know to be of verity that can deal with my soul. That's what I need. He continues. He said, don't make me sing songs about how I feel. Don't. These silly repetitive songs, again and again, I just want to praise you. Lift up my hands and say, I love you. You are everything to me. Goodness, at half past eight on a Sunday morning, I'm barely ambulatory. I can't start there. If you want me to say that, he said, I just kicked the dog. I don't even have a dog. I got in an argument with someone because they took my parking space. I spilled my coffee. I didn't read my Bible. I'm a miserable wretch. And now you want me to start here? How do you feel? I feel rotten, that's how I feel. What do you got for me? The answer, nothing. I got nothing for you. That's why, I want to, that's why you have to get yourself under the control of the Scriptures. That's why it is what we know. The verities of the Scriptures which fuel our hearts and our emotions and lead us on. Hence, 
Praise my soul, the King of heaven. To his feet thy tribute bring. Ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. Who like thee his praise should sing? Okay, now we've got something to sing about. For we have been reminded of the truth. You have been ransomed. You have been healed. You have been restored. You have been forgiven. And you're looking away from yourself now. You're looking out into Christ. And it is in this that we have something that fuels our praise. And so, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. Titus chapter 1, verse 4. Paul begins this verse like this. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. Pray with me. Father, teach us the truth today. Help us to clear away everything that is not true and to put our trust in the truth that is your word, the promises that you have laid out to us, the blessings that you have given us. Father, help us to be reminded. Help us to see Help us to understand. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we saw last week, the epistle to Titus, Paul's letter to Titus, is a letter of grace. From the very first word to the very last sentence, this letter, Titus, is filled with grace. We've been reminded of God's uh, immense grace toward Paul, the great persecutor of the church. We remember his grace toward the elect as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Once again this week, we need to be reminded of the grace of the hope of eternal life. God's grace toward us in this well-grounded expectation of eternal life, which God, who never lies has promised to us. As we gather each Lord's Day, we are reminded of the ordinary means of grace. Those ways in which week, week in and week out, God pours out His grace on those who are His own. And Paul, in this opening introduction, really in verses 1 through 3, he reminds us that, that God does this particularly through the preaching of His gracious gospel to the proclamation of the truth of God's word. And so we see from Paul's opening statement, really the first three verses of this letter, we see first of all that this is a letter written by Paul, the former persecutor of the church who is now a doulos, a slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. And, and as such, this is a letter that has been written with a humble authority. And this is written, he says, for the sake of our faith our knowledge, and our godliness. And as this letter unfolds, we will understand that this is about discipleship. 
Jesus himself in Matthew 28 defined discipleship or making disciples as baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that he has commanded. Paul told Timothy in his second letter, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, that discipling men specifically, practically, worked out like this. He wrote, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Titus is a letter that explains, in the context of the church setting, it explains what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. But Paul is not done with his introductory greeting. And so this morning, as we look at just this one verse, verse 4, we're going to get to know not only the recipient of this letter, Titus, as well as his relationship to Paul, but also we're going to be looking at this apostolic greeting, this greeting of the apostle itself. We're going to be looking at this statement, this indicative declarative truth, which also is a great promise and blessing from God that we, his people, need to be reminded of every time we assemble in his presence. Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. In short, today we're going to see what what makes up a true child, true faith, and a true blessing. That'll be our outline this morning. A true child, a true faith, and a true blessing. So we'll start with a true child. He begins by saying to Titus, my true child in a common faith. So, Titus, the man, does not appear um, on the scene here out of the blue. Other churches um, who would have eventually received a copy of this letter and read it aloud in their congregations uh, probably would have been familiar with Titus, especially if they were familiar with Paul, if they had known Paul. The churches, for example, that he had started, often Titus was with him. And just as a side note, uh, Titus or maybe one of his associates, must have copied this letter and sent it out to the churches to use for its practical instructions, and also done so as accepted scripture. Otherwise, if this were a simple personal correspondence between two pastors, it would have been lost to history. But instead, we have this as inspired scripture. It wasn't chosen 400 years later, as some like to say. It was accepted immediately as for what it is, which is the Word of God. And so Titus and the churches accepted this letter as an apostolic letter written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's just kind of an aside. And so as I was saying, those who knew Paul likely knew or at least knew of Titus as well. Because although Titus is not mentioned by name in the book of Acts, Paul does mention him in a couple of his letters. And it's in Paul's letters, particularly the letter to the Galatians and second, his second letter to the, actually his third letter but, or fourth letter, but another letter, 2 Corinthians, that we know. We learn here that Paul himself, from Paul himself, that Titus is a faithful helper. So here are a couple of things that we know. Okay, from the other places in the Bible. We know this about Titus. 
Galatians chapter 2 tells us that Titus was a Gentile. And so he was a Gentile convert to Christianity. Now that's going to be important here in a, in a little bit later in the sermon. So just kind of hold on to that bit of trivia. Titus was not of Jewish descent. He was a Gentile who had converted to Christianity. But another thing that we can know about Titus from 2 Corinthians chapter 12 is that he was sent, along with some others, he was sent to the church at Corinth by Paul for the the particularly difficult and delicate task of confronting their sins and straightening out various messes the Corinthian church had caused for itself. That's what I was mentioning earlier when when we read 2 Corinthians. It's almost certain that Titus was among the delegation that brought the letter of 1 Corinthians to the Corinthian church. And then he and some of the others stayed and helped to to pastor, to shepherd the church through some much-needed repentance and restoration. We're going to see those things a bit when we get to our study of 1 Corinthians a little bit later. That mission of Titus and those other apostolic delegates, as we sometimes call them, that mission seems to have worked. Um, We know that by the tone of 2 Corinthians. And so we can conclude from this that Titus was a godly and skilled shepherd and leader. And so clearly, that experience with the Corinthian church would prove useful on Crete, as we're going to see later in this chapter. So there's just a bunch of background information on Titus that hopefully will make sense as we continue through the book. But along with that, what we could call sort of his pastoral resume, I want you to listen to how Paul describes Titus. So these are all passages, I'm going to read you three different passages from 2 Corinthians. So beginning in chapter 2, where we can see that, that he cared about Titus. He actually missed Titus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we read these words, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. Clearly, Paul wanted to see Titus. Later, in chapter 8 of the same letter, he writes this as he, as he commends Titus as a pastor. He says this. He says, But thanks be to God, who put it into the heart of Titus, the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. And then a couple of verses later, Paul says this. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. Clearly, Paul is confident in Titus' ability to lead, feed, and protect the flock of God. And beyond that, he has a genuine love for Titus as as a brother. He calls him his brother. He says that Titus is a a partner, a a fellow worker, a co-laborer in the gospel. But, But here, in his letter to Titus, he gives us his really his most personal compliment, his most personal commendation, the most personal that he can get for Titus is right here when he's writing to him directly, and he calls him my true child. To Titus, my true child in a common faith. In the other places, Paul is writing to others about Titus. 
But here he's writing directly to him. The only other time that we see this in the New Testament, this sort of care and affection, aside from Christ, is when the Apostle Paul um, also uses the same phrase, my true child, when he addresses Timothy. He addresses these two uh, pastors as my true child. Paul saw these two men, Titus and Timothy, as his true, genuine sons. Now clearly, just so that there's no misunderstanding, these are his spiritual sons, his sons in the faith. This is where the first effect of grace that I want to point out is. As I said last week, we can see God's grace all over those first three verses And now here in verse 4, we see the effect of God's grace upon his people as Paul, also called Saul, who was, as he says in his own words in Philippians 3, Paul, circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless, Paul was the personification of Judaism, at least in his own mind. But now, because of God's grace, he has two spiritual sons, true sons, whom he loves deeply as a father. Timothy, who had a Jewish mother and a Gentile father, and Titus, who was full Gentile. Can you begin to see the significance of this? The significance for the people of God? Paul calls a Gentile... Paul, a Hebrew of Hebrews, calls a Gentile, one who has nothing to do with God, his true son in a common faith. Listen to Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 to 29. He says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, you are all one in Christ Jesus, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. This Gentile is now an heir according to the promise, and he is a son of God and a true son of Paul. He says even more to explain this. Turn back to Ephesians chapter 2. I want to read 11 to 22. Ephesians 2, verse 11. This is a big deal, especially to the Jews and the Gentiles needed to get their minds around this. And so Paul, writing to the Ephesians, gives an explanation. He says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made uh, in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Let's just stop right there. That describes Titus before Christ saved him. That describes us before Christ saved us. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. 
by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both, Jew and Gentile, to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to one in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In, and this is grace. And in, this grace is what has united us in this room as well. Not only has it united Jew and Gentile, as he talking about there in Philippi, uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Not only has he united Paul and Titus, but he has united us in this room into this family that we call Logansville Church. People of all kinds of backgrounds, from all kinds of places around the world, are a part of the household of God. Because we are united in a true common faith in Christ alone. He's a true son in a true faith. To Titus, my true child in a common faith. Now clearly, the true faith, a common faith is connected to the previous point, a true child. The only way that Titus is Paul's true child is in this common faith. So it looks like this, Paul discipled Titus. He taught him to observe all that Christ commanded. And he entrusts the truth of the gospel in this faithful Titus, whom he is instructing to teach others also. And this common faith that we're talking about here is, is common and is true in two senses. Okay? First, this is a recognition that we are in a common faith. This is a recognition that we are all in need of a Savior. And by the way, it's the same Savior. We are united in the household of God. If we are part of God's people, we are talking about the God of the Bible. We're talking about Yahweh. And this household of Yahweh, as he says in Ephesians 2, is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. This is our common faith. This is a faith that we share with not only one another, but even with people of different Christian denominations, different doctrinal distinctives. If they have trusted in Christ Jesus, they are our brothers and sisters in Christ. We share a common faith, even if they baptize babies, even if they speak in tongues. If they have trusted in Christ for salvation, we share a common faith faith. We are saved by grace alone and Christ alone. And secondly, this common faith in, um, is common in that we all need him. We all need him. From the Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee who is zealous for the Jewish traditions, to the Gentile of unknown lineage, we all need Christ. Paul and Titus and we share a common faith. We all need Christ's mercy and grace. We need his forgiveness. 
We need his redemption. We need the Holy Spirit. We need his church. We need the fellowship of the saints. We need his teaching and instruction. Our greatest need is Christ. And along with this simple statement here, to Titus, my true child in a common faith, as he says this, Paul quietly places himself alongside the rest of us. See, while Paul discipled Titus, while he displayed in himself a faith worth imitating, in fact, he will say in his letters, imitate me as I imitate Christ, while Paul displayed a faith worth imitating, and he taught Titus all of Christ's commands, he imparted knowledge to him which accords with godliness, and so was a spiritual father to Titus, yet this is a common faith. Paul did for Titus what every Christian parent is called to do for his or her children, spiritual or natural. This is the relationship of the older to the younger, the older believer to the younger believer. This is the common relationship in Christ's church. This is what a bulk of chapter 2 is about, which we will get to there soon enough. And so Paul is really addressing the church as a whole, even as he just says this simple statement to Titus, my true child in a common faith. John Calvin put it this way. He says, following the example of Titus, we should all be true children in, a com- in the true faith, common to all true believers. And so we should bear the mark of those begotten by the word of salvation, receiving and benefiting from God's grace and rejoicing not simply in the name, but in its truth and substance. So the apostle Paul is writing this letter for the sake of the church And he's writing it to his beloved son in the faith, Titus. And before anything else, he utters a true blessing, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. This is a true blessing. Ian Murray, in his biography of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he writes this. He said, during all worship, speaking of the doctor. Do you know who Martin Lloyd-Jones was? Pastor in England, London, um, in the mid-1900s. Murray writes this. He says, during all worship, his whole being was a study of concentration. He never used times of singing as an opportunity to look around the congregation or to look at notes. He was there to worship God and did not raise his eyes from his hymn book. The idea that a minister should smile benignly at the people or make them feel welcome with some words of social greeting was foreign to his whole concept of the grandeur of Christian worship. If the church were the minister's home and the people his guests, then he argued, it would be permissible to say, good morning, friends, nice to see you, how good of you to come. But he regarded that whole approach as wrong. It is not our service. The people do not come here to see us or to please us. They and we are there to worship God and to meet with God. A minister in a church is not like a man inviting people into his home. He is not in charge here. He's just a servant himself. Every week when we begin our worship, either myself or Ben or one of the other guys will read an apostolic greeting like this one. I picked up the habit a few years ago um, after reading the biography of Martin Lloyd-Jones and also after listening to Alistair Begg's message that I referenced there at the beginning because we need something that's true. We need to be reminded of what we know. 
grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. In nearly every letter of Paul to the churches, as well as Peter, he does this, Jude, John does it in his second letter, and also Revelation. Paul, the first thing uh, that he addresses uh, beyond the introduction, right? So Paul to Titus, that's the first section. Beyond that, the first thing that they say is some form of this apostolic greeting. A greeting of the apostles. Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. On the one hand, this is so simple that sometimes we read right through it to get to the meat of the letter. But these statements are of vital importance. And so if you remember nothing else this morning, remember this true blessing. Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. If you don't remember anything else here today, remember this statement. Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. If somebody asks you later in the week, hey, what was the sermon about at your church this week? Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. What was the sermon about last week? Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. On the other hand, though, this statement, this greeting is not simple at all. This is the effect of God's grace toward us. In that this promise, this, this true blessing continues to be true. This continues week after week to remind us of the fact that our blessedness, our joy lies not in the fact, it lies in the fact that we have been, we've been reconciled to God and that he is, he is keeping us in his love and in his favor. This statement is a greeting that we should long for every time we approach God in worship. We should walk in here after being lied to all week long by the world. After being lied to all week long by our own sin, by our own flesh. And we should sit there and long to hear grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. We should long to hear that because it's true. Tell me something I can know. Tell me something that's true. Tell me something I can believe. Tell me something that will bring me to repentance. Tell me something that will assure me that God has pardoned my sins. Tell me something that will remind me to rejoice. Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. This is God's faithful, loving kindness and goodness toward his people toward us. And this grace is no small thing because this is God's unmerited love and favor. We love because he first loved us. Because he first loved us. He has taken pity on us. We are not worthy in and of ourselves of the creator's love. We were conceived in sin and deserve God's justice, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This grace is the merciful kindness by which God, 
in power and authority, turns souls to Christ and keeps them, strengthens them, increases our faith, our knowledge, and our godliness. And it is this grace that enables us to persevere each day and each week to the end, regardless of what's in the news, regardless of what's going on in our families, regardless of what's going on in our extended families. He keeps us. Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Peace. God's wrath has been removed from us. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For those who have trusted in Christ for salvation. There is no more wrath. Only peace. Peace here. It implies health, it implies well-being, it implies uh, prosperity, but not as the world measures those things. I want to be clear about that. Health, well-being, and prosperity, but not as the world measures that. See, this means that we can have freedom from anxiety, freedom from panic, Freedom from distraction, even despite the circumstances we may find ourselves in. In this world, you will have trouble. Take heart, Jesus said. I have overcome the world. But do you know what else peace means here? It it literally means to bind together. This is the effect of God's grace upon believing sinners. We are bound to God, which slowly but surely brings our wills, our hearts, our emotions, our minds into harmony with His will. This is why we need to hear this so often. Because you may not feel peace. You may have kicked the dog on the way out of the house this morning. Or spilled your coffee on your shirt or your marriage, or your relationship with your family may be in deep trouble. You may not feel peace. So instead, we need to cling to something that we can know. Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. If you have repented of your sin and believed in Jesus Christ, if you have called upon His name and you stand in His grace, then you can know that that statement is true. It doesn't matter what you feel. Your feelings will change. You'll hear a joke and your feelings will change. You'll see a a cat video and your feelings will change one way or another. Right? Our feelings are going to change all the time. Our feelings change when we get hungry. Our feelings are going to change. But you can know Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. This is the effect of God's grace in our lives. You are saved because he has given you faith. He has saved you by his grace and because of his grace he continues to keep you in his grace and he has richly bestowed upon you his peace. Jesus promised this himself. Remember John 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. 
Grace to you and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. This is the effect of God's grace on us. He's keeping you. He's blessing you. He's saving you. Know this to be true. Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. And let me tell you something else, just as we finish. Paul says this in nearly every one of his letters. If you can't find this later... Look up any one of his letters and read the first few verses. And he's going to say something to this effect. In the King James, it actually says, grace, mercy, and peace. This is true. That means when he writes it to all these other churches and to Titus and to Timothy, when Jude writes this to his audience, when Peter writes this, it means it's true for us as Christians. This is a promise, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Pray with me. Father, if if we forget everything else today, if we forget conversations, if we forget the songs that we sung, if we forget um, the things that we've learned, please remind us of this truth. Help us to put this deep down in our bones so that we don't forget this. So that no matter what happens with our feelings, that we are reminded grace and peace that only can come from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Remind us of this truth, Lord. Tie this deep into our hearts that we might worship you and be conformed to the image of your Son. Father, we thank you We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.